0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Magnified with Matt Cooper, the podcast series that gives me the opportunity to talk to my guests at more length than the time available to me on the last word of Today FM, done from my kitchen table at home. Now, today's guest is somebody who I met first at an awards ceremony and then got the opportunity to interview at Renata's business conference, The Real Deal. And she is The Real Deal. She has an extraordinary story to tell, a story of overcoming great personal tragedy to build a business before selling it. A business that was more than a century old family business that she had married into and which she took the helm of when her husband died in tragic circumstances. Vicky O'Toole speaks with a compelling honesty in this interview and I think we may all get a lot from it. I hope you very much appreciate this and enjoy it too. I've met you twice in recent times. First of all, I met you at a function where you were part of a panel of receiving awards from the Irish Daily Mail's Business Plus magazine. And then I met you again at a business conference for Renatus and got to chat to you a little bit about your story, which I was really fascinated by and thought would really work well for one of the magnified podcasts because you got into, I suppose, a situation that no person would want to get into the circumstances in which you ended up taking control of the family business, but a family that you had married into, not only been third generation yourself, married into third generation.
1: Can you
0: tell us a little bit about the business and how it is that you ended up in it?
1: So I suppose I was kind of thinking about this coming up in the car. In fact, as I was saying to you earlier, my whole life flashed in front of me. Um, my husband passed away in 2010 and actually it was his anniversary, his 13th anniversary, yesterday um, so how it happened was very briefly and um, I've seen I'm, I'm into the third act of my life now and um, I'm hoping there's only going to be three or four acts um, but the first act was got married to Fergus pre well you know I went to college didn't finish UCC um maybe talk about that a bit a little bit later I met Fergus in my future husband in Ted's he was standing on a counter Singing in New York, New York. I was introduced to him by somebody thinking, How is she so friendly with somebody so old? You know, because he was older than me. And our last long story short, we fell in love. So, what was the age difference? What age? Well, is- he, it was nine. I mean, he rounded down to eight, and I rounded up to 10. So, he married a young one. Um, I was only 20 when I met him in November. I got married in May. Sorry, I was, I was 21 in May and we were married in August. So I was very young and um, I would kill my children if they do that. Absolutely kill them. But Fergus was Richard look alike. He looked after me and we just had everything. You know, we were so lucky. We had five wonderful children. My first came along maybe, I think, 16 months after we got married. Uh, we were so lucky with everything. And I suppose, I'm not going to say he was a substitute father for me. But he did everything. Like he wrote the checks. He looked after the accounts. He ran this amazing business, JTO2 Limited. He was the third generation. He became the managing director the same month that we got engaged. His dad was retiring. Hank was so happy. I was at home. Like, and I knew I was happy. And Fergus was happy. We were very happy. And anyway, zooming on forwards, um, out of nowhere, Fergus became depressed. It was such a shock. I, I remember the day vividly. Um. Philip our baby was born 010101 and it wasn't long after that I remember distinctly picking up Chloe from or going to pick her up from piano and Fergus rang me to say that he wasn't feeling well and now he had typical Fergus such a gentleman I remember that morning so well because it was dark it was winter and, and funny you know when you're depressed which he was it's the winter months that most people don't enjoy when it gets dark and I remember he arrived up to the bedroom with a warm bottle for me to to feel. He was just such a gentleman and he left to go to Bram Thomas, he told me. But he wasn't going to Bram Thomas. He went to the office and he just, you know, I didn't know that he just was so depressed. And, you know, he just kind of decided that, that he had had enough, um, but it didn't work out. And so, anyway, he called me and he said he wasn't feeling well. And I remember meeting him at Castletroy Park and I was still very young, you know, with five young children. And my... I remember my first thought was, no, you're enough, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. And within the space of a minute, the minder switched between the two of us. I became the minder, but I'm kind of a miss And I said, you know, rescue remedy, you know, we're going to have chamomile tea, you're absolutely fine. Um, but he wasn't fine. And what happened was a couple of things. Um, the plastic bag tax was coming. He could see that business was being decimated. He we would talk a lot about it, that he would think about my father, how successful he was. He thought his father was successful and he was. He compared himself to them and he felt he was letting everybody down. And that was the start of a ten year. He was not well for ten years, but not for the ten years, for parts of the ten years. He remained to be an incredible father, an incredible husband. And you know the problem with Fergus was if it was a problem, he was too kind. He looked after everybody, he looked after his parents. Anybody, you know, charities, left, right and center, he looked after me, he looked after the five children. And it just became too much for him. And uh, so what happened was he, you know, we had a kind of a, a bit of a scare that he he just, you know, wanted to, to end his life. And thankfully it didn't work and it was probably the second or third time. And my brother and my brother-in-law and my brother Mark, who has been such a support to me as, you know, when he died, I always remember his mother saying, he was in front of you, he was behind you and he was beside you every step of the way. And my brother-in-law was our accountant and they both arrived to my house with their briefcases. And it's as if it was yesterday. So it was still a tiny little dot and um, and Fergus was, we were lucky, I suppose, that Fergus could stay at home when he wasn't well and we minded him at home but he had, he was woken up to, you know, we would wake him up because he was heavily sedated and I remember he came down to, the, to our den and I'd love to fire lit and God, I think back and so they talk small talk. How are you? They talked about rugby and I, I just kind of said, please come to this. You know, what is it you've come here for? And what they decided to do was, you know, Fergus, your life is much more important than any business. You know, we need to let, let's just sell it. And at this point they'd already got rid of Dublin because uh, Dublin was, you know, a big part of the business. Um, Fergus had bought his brother Eddie out at the time and he, he just Fergus just couldn't see an end to it and he's just for somebody who was so confident he was the bubbly guy everybody that speaks about Fergus talks about his laugh and he was the person that lit up a room when he walked in and I, I think I maybe might have as well and we just compliment each other so much but it was a scary time so they said Let, let's, let's sell the business and I could f- visibly see Fergus shoulders dropping down he was so relieved the weight had gone and I remember going to the bathroom, so scared and thinking, OK, that's fine. I, I have no problem having no business. I would no problem having no money. I thought, I have no qualifications, so what am I going to do? And, um, you know, this is all fine now, but what are we going to do? Fergus went back to bed and I didn't sleep for two days and two nights. And that feeling of when you're really tired, your know, teeth start chattering and um, I distinctly remember ringing my brother at about half six in the morning, thinking I'm going to wake him up. Um, I know he was wide awake. He was actually heading into the office to speak to Fergus's colleagues. Um, and I said, Mark, I can't sleep. And he said, I, I can't sleep either. And I said, you know, maybe if I went in to like virtually hold Fergus's hand and support him, what do you think? Because if the company goes, now we weren't on stores. You know, we weren't Google." We were JJ2 Limited, but we were the oldest packaging company in Ireland and always would be the oldest packaging company in Ireland. Until we closed, and I said, you know, we're going to get, the, the brand will be gone and we won't be able to resurrect it. And he said, Vicky, you know, I thought exactly the same thing. Why don't you go in and help him? And that's what I did. I went in and I was given a desk, um, which remained my desk for 19 years until I sold it to the office. I was given a computer and thank God, my mother, when I gave up college, she made me do a secretarial course because typing was... I was good at typing and uh, and I was good at sourcing and whatever, but it was... So that was the start of it and it, I, I can't... So then so you worked alongside for... Uh, well, alongside him, I didn't know what to do, but I what I did was he would be downstairs and I was upstairs, but I was there. At and the same time as also five children still yes. at school and yes. even who yes. weren't at school. So I'd be nipping out doing... I was very lucky that I had this amazing housekeeper, Sash. Friend, I still have her, uh, and Marie. She's like a second mother to the children. In fact, they have about ten mothers now, which is great. Um, but. I would go home and do the one o'clock run, the two o'clock run, the three o'clock run. The, the children would hate me for that. I mean, I actually wouldn't go home between those runs. I would make them do homework in the back of the car, in the boot of the car. And I think sometimes maybe no safety. That's what I think of it sorry. sorry, But it was, I don't remember all of it. I just remember it was a very busy time. And you were doing soccer and rugby. And But Fergus was helping in all of this. You know, he would be nipping out. And, be, and it, honestly, Fergus was a better parent than me. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, my children would probably say that. I mean, I still remember, you know, one of them saying, "You know, Dad, will you pick me up from school, Crescent Camp, which is about a ten minutes' walk from our house? Probably seven for him because he's six foot three. No problem. Mom, will you pick me up? Absolutely, out of the question. Walk on." So, as time went on, he spent more time at home, and I spent more time in the office. Now, it it so it didn't happen seamlessly. But actually the day that he did die, he was still in the office. You know, he would come and he would do the stocks and he, would, he was brilliant on numbers. I hated numbers. I hated stock. He did all of that, but he, he'd nip in for an hour or two. And it was weird because, you know, when, when you suffer from depression and nobody can tell you how you feel unless you have it. And that used to really upset me when people would say, you know, he needs to go, he needs to go to work full time. Vicky, you need to take off. It's ridiculous. You know, you're a woman. You should get home minding your children. So many hurtful things over the years. Um, but we were better suited in the end to where we ended up. And But I could never really win at the time because if I could lose, I won my first account uh, from Avoca and I would always remember Amanda Pat for that. And not because she felt sorry for me, I don't think, but we connected on a level. And I did a lot of work to find packaging that didn't have lamination on it. Um, and I remember telling him that and he was so delighted. And then he'd say, oh, you know, I'm making you do this, you know, and you shouldn't have to do this. I should be doing this. And, and then when there was bad news, I couldn't tell him, or if I did tell him, he would get upset as well. And it was kind of no winning because he felt he should be doing that and I should be at home. But, it, you know, I, I learned very, very quickly. I had a clue what I was doing. But, but Vicky,
0: it sounds like you probably did know what you were doing and that in a strange way, you actually ended up in doing something that was utterly suited to you.
1: Well, at the beginning, I genuinely would tell you, I did not know what I was doing. I remember being out with a couple of friends of ours having drinks. And I remember the gentleman turned around to me and said, Vicky, what is your margin? And I didn't want people to think I was a fool. So but I thought she was talking about the line down the side of a page. And I just thank God Fergus turned around to me and said, none of your business. That's private what our margin is. I didn't know what a two pound bag was. I didn't know the difference between a micron and a GSM. I had no idea, but I learned quickly. And I also learned from a cousin of mine who is now a, a judge, and he said, "You know, you're an intelligent person. You did study law, or, albeit briefly." Uh, if you was asked the same question three times and you still don't understand the answer, it's not you, it's them. But there was this thing in me that any question at the beginning I was going to ask was stupid. And I mean, there was a lot of yeah.
0: How did the employees in the business, and particularly the management, take
1: the boss's wife coming in and suddenly getting involved? They were nervous. They were suspicious. They were scared, you know, why is Vicky not here? Why is Vicky here? Like, like where she come from? And wh- where's Fergus? And, and even things like even out there in in within our customers. I remember one of our sales reps from Dublin rang me to say that he went into one of his customers, well-known retailer in Dublin. And they said, listen, there's, there's nobody. There's nobody steering that ship in JGO2 Limited. Um, You know, we're going to go somewhere else. But it wasn't that. It was one of our competitors had said that. So people got nervous. And it's funny, we, look, I don't understand why people hide their problems behind closed doors, but so much. But at the time we did, because Fergus was worried about the banks because we owed an awful lot of money. And also when you're dealing with depression and there is such a stigma, we didn't want to tell our children either, you know. But going back to the business, yeah, they were suspicious and I suppose I had to prove myself and, being a woman in business as well and somebody who just appeared out of nowhere for some of the customers was difficult as well.
0: So something you mentioned there that certainly interests me, the fact that you have felt that you had to keep it hidden because yes, your bankers or maybe your suppliers so it would not have been understanding and that that could have actually effectively maybe even closed your business.
1: Well, that's what Fergus thought. And remembering you now, I was very green and very naive and very scared. And so I was doing what he wanted me to do, to say nothing and to protect the children more than anything else. Um, but there was a moment where we decided it was enough. I, I couldn't lie. Lying is so difficult. I was a good golfer. It relies until afterwards how good a golfer I was. I was, this, I was on the senior cup panel and a very good friend of mine rang me and said, look, you know, we've, we've got to, we're practicing. I think it was in Mallow. And I said, look, I can't. Vivian and I, I actually had a stomach ulcer. And we were invited to everything. So there would be invites. No, can't as far as got a headache and it just kept going on and on and on. And I remember ringing my brother-in-law at the time, it was her accountant. I said, look, the lies, I can't lie, it's really difficult. He said, Well, why don't you tell her, tell her the truth? And she was a wonderful because she didn't ask me questions. I just said, I can't play on the team. She was the perfect example of how you should deal with somebody when somebody's sick. She didn't pry. She said, I'm here if you need me. Maybe she suspected something, I don't know. And then Fergus started to talk to people. And then we, but we didn't tell the children. And in fact, when Fergus died, I think they were all shot. You know, that Fergus did have depression. You don't want it. they didn't know. No, they didn't. No. Had they suspected? The older ones, I think maybe did. Because what age were they be at the time? Well, when Fergus died, the youngest was nine and Chloe was in her early 20s. But, the, you know, you you can hide things. You know, you, you can, and um, you don't have to talk about everything in in every detail. But I think, for well, Chloe did know definitely, but she wouldn't have known the extent of the ten years because she would have only been maybe twelve, thirteen when he got the beginning. But like what I what I said earlier is that Fergus was very well for most of that time, very well. But when the weather changed, his mood changed. Can I
0: ask? What was your mental health like at that, having to deal with this extraordinary change in your life and circumstances?
1: I, you know, I never look back. I try not to look back because it scares me. And I sometimes, I stopped actually having baths. It's a really weird thing. For years, I didn't have a bath because when you're in a bath, which I love, um, you think. So I kept moving. I was doing hundreds of things. I didn't have time to think. I, I just kept moving. There was so much to do, five children running a business. Um, but you can wear yourself out doing that as well, can't yeah, you? Yeah, but I didn't. I was lucky and maybe it's the half German blood in me, but um and I, I, I just I just didn't want to I anybody down. I didn't want to leave the children down there, so let go to school. And I think you really never know how 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 strong you are until you have no choice. And so obviously there's something in me that kept going. And like I brought with Fergus those five children into this world and I had to be around with them. Simple as that. And I didn't want their life, even after Fergus died, to be dictated by what happened to us. It can't be a reason for, you know, the not doing well or not being happy. And that's been a, t- a challenge without it, you know, but we cannot be, I don't know, you just, we can't be victims of this either. And um, it's part of our story. It's a desperate part of our story. It's been a huge roller coaster. I can safely tell you now, 13 years afterwards that, and I think we all agree because we talked about this recently. And we talk about Ferris Opening you now. Do you talk about him regularly? Regularly. Mostly with a few drinks on board. But and the children adore him. They all adore him. I think the younger ones, you know, a, a particularly one of them what what hurts them the most is that they feel that they won't remember him. That they're forgetting him. You know, whereas the old ones would remember him and yeah. have more stories than the younger ones. The nine year old has been an outstanding bright star for all of us. Just got his one-one in actuary. He's been an absolute joy And, and thank God I had five children because they kept me going and also I was lucky that I had five children because they all had their own conversations amongst themselves. They had their own group chats because I never know, you don't know what's going on in people's heads and I didn't know how they were feeling you know, each day. And we used to joke actually originally that it's a pity we didn't all have a kind of a really bad day at the same time because we all would have bad days at different times. You know, I remember saying to Chloe, the eldest, who really has been such, they've all been amazing, but she has been being the eldest. She had to take that role very seriously when Fergus died. Um, and it's been very difficult for her listening to me often about my worries about all of them. In fact, only recently she said, oh, we need to stop worrying about this. But we, we, we talk about them all the time, but we talk now about how we have survived. And also we agree, all of us, that we would not have been successful if Fergus was as, as successful if Fergus was alive. Why do you say that? Because I think inside us we want to prove to him that we're okay. And you are okay? Yes <laughs> and I promised I wouldn't cry but we are okay and I think he's proud of us. Um, I think he's very proud of us. I think he will be proud of us but I also think that And I truly believe that if I was, if I came across as being less weak or less strong, because he always thought I was really really strong, that I think he might have stayed around a little bit longer. I think he knew that my children were capable hands. Um, Because I used to say to him when he was unwell, I said, Fergus, you imagine what happens if I get sick. You know, we need you really badly to stay around. But Fergus was in so much pain. So much pain. And we know he's up there. Don't know, if Ken Donald, who was McNamara, is a really good friend of ours, and who was there for my parents' funeral and for Fergus, he'll kill me if he hears this. I don't know what God. I don't know about this anymore. None of us do after what happened to us. But I do believe Fergus is up there, and he is looking down, and he is minding us, and I think he's proud. But he's missing a lot. He's missing. I was so naive at the beginning. When Chloe's graduation was the first, and I went, "Thank God, that's over and done with." I forgot there was a second and a third and a fourth and maybe a fifth graduation coming up. You forget about the weddings. You know, i got to do the speeches. I hate it. Double these days. <laughs> you shouldn't be here to do this. Um, so there are days I do go up to the graveyard, which is a beautiful graveyard. He's buried beside my parents. In fact, my grave is, my parents are on the left. Then there's a space for me and then there's Fergus and I know they're having their chance. But there's times I get cross with him. Very few. I just, Cross that he's not around to see how great his children. You know, that he's physically, fiz- I know he's there to see it, but not to witness it with us. So, Jade had to walk Chloe down the aisle. So... But you say
0: you're cross and... Only a few times. Yes, okay, and I think, I think I can understand that. Although, I probably can't understand mm-hmm. that because how can anyone understand what somebody else is actually going through? But I suppose... You know, if he had had cancer or if he had had a heart attack, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be cross with no. him for dying because of that.
1: And no. he had an illness and oh, he died as a result of that illness. He had an illness. And, right, I mean, and when I say cross, it's just cross as I wish you were not. I'm not. When first, when Fergus died, I could write, a, and I, I will one day write a book, but I could write a whole book about what people said. The good things and the bad things. I could write a book about the good things people did and the bad things people did. It was just shocking, absolutely shocking, some of the things that we heard. People would say, Fergus committed suicide. He's so selfish. A, nobody should ever use the word commit. Fergus not commit anything. He didn't commit a crime. Fergus died from depression. That's what we say. And mm. um, he had an illness. And the Fergus that we knew when he was well, the Fergus that was unwell, it's two different people. And Fergus, Fergus us a favour in his head. I know he did, but he he was a burden to all of us. And you know, when you're sick and if you've got cancer or all these horrible things, you can go to hospital, you get an MRI, you can get a scan and they look at you and they can tell you what's wrong with you. And they hopefully can find a treatment to make you better. With depression, there is no... I i haven't heard of it anyway, where they can actually unzip your brain and they and say, well, okay, so Fergus this type of depression and these are the tablets we're going to give him and he's going to be cured. With depression, it's so complicated. And we, you know, people would say he's so selfish. You know, Vicky, you need to, this is just a He you should be working. I could see his hurt. I couldn't understand how he was feeling. So how on earth could anybody else understand? He couldn't even explain to me how bad he felt. But the hurt and the pain that he was going through, can you imagine how excruciating that was for him to decide, I can't do this anymore. When he adored us, all of us. And he adored his brothers and his sisters and his friends. And he was the life and soul of Kilkee and Limerick and everywhere else. I mean, I think it must have been the biggest funeral that Limerick ever, ever saw. Um, thousands came into our house. And um, so it was, it, you know, it's just, so I just can't listen to people when they say it was selfish. What age you think? He was um, 48, I think. 46, 46. So young. Yeah, think. So young. And I was here.
0: And then you mentioned how people said nice things, people didn't say nice things, and people were good to you, people weren't good to you. Was the people who didn't say nice things or didn't behave well, was that out of ignorance? Or what was it, do you think?
1: There were hardly people being malicious, were they? There were. And, um, you know, it's so weird. About three years after first died, now I knew that we were lucky. I knew we had, I was married to Richard Gere, I mean, I wish I was Cynthia Crawford, <laughs> where we had everything from the outside in, we had everything. We had the beautiful home, the beautiful business, successful business. We had five stunning children. We were lacking in nothing and we knew it. Um, imagine three years after Fergus died, I heard from an aunt of mine that women were jealous of me. Imagine being jealous. A woman, she was jealous of me because I still had everything. I thought, if you only knew the pain that we've had to go through. Things like, I remember after Fergus died, we had to go to his sister's funeral. When his sister, who was gorgeous, the eldest of of Fergus's family, when she died, the day she died, I was out with our architect, who was a friend of Fergus's and mine, picking his headstone when she died which was, you know, and I'm kind of a bit of OCD. And I was I was t- looking at the debossing of the text on his headstone. It was a really horrible time for me. It was less than a year after Fergus died. And when she died, it was really, really tough. It was the first time we were in a church and we saw another coffin. And I don't know how the children felt, but I just felt really just horrible. I remember going into the Holy Rosary and my five children just like the Brady Bunch sitting in front of me, I had them all dressed beautifully. Um, I took a couple of bottles of rescue remedy before I went in. I thought, you know, I'm doing okay here. I'm doing okay. And a lady went up to shake hands with Granny O'Toole, who should be Fergus's mother, who'd now lost two of her children. And she was walking down the side aisle and she leaned in. I was sitting behind my children and she said, How are you? At the top of her voice, I said, I'm fine. You couldn't be. You couldn't be fine screamed it. And all my five children could hear this. But that's only the only tip of the iceberg. I mean, you kind of, why did it happen? Where did it happen? What did he do? Um, I remember a girl coming to my house a month later and you remember all the bad things and the good things. I don't remember anything in between because it's too much many things to be remembered. But I remember she said to me sitting on the patio, I know how you feel. I thought, how does she know how I feel? I don't know how I feel. And I said, how do you know how I feel? And she said, because my mother died. And I said, you know, my mum died too. And my father has died and my and my husband has died. But most importantly, the father of my five children. But she said, no, I know how you feel. And I don't think she meant to be cruel, but it was this kind of thing. I know how you feel. I don't know how I feel sometimes. Matt, you, you're there thinking something right now and I don't know what you think. But there were other things. I mean, I think the classic was, and we, we went from the top ten of the worst things you could possibly hear when somebody dies. My top, my number one kept changing. One of the classics was, um, and this has to go into my book, um, and I'm not going to mention names. So Fergus was very popular in Limerick, um, like really popular. I mean, he on top of being a really great guy, he did so much for charity for the for Saint Gabriel's for Vincent de Paul. He was he was fundraising for the national school, the secondary school, everybody like I mean, people actually said to me afterwards that they would see Fergus walking down the street and the actual crossover because they knew that he would look for money for something. But so at his removal, if um, they couldn't even fill the church, there were so many people in St. Joseph's. And neighbors of ours were in Spain on holidays. They lived right across the road from us. And they were there for a month and they heard that Fergus died. So they all flew home. And at the back of the church um, the lady who flew home met somebody. And she said, oh, that's very sad, isn't it? Desperate, desperate. And she said, will not you great to come home um, for the funeral? She said, why well, wouldn't I? I mean, Ferguson and Thickey are great friends of ours and the poor children. And, and she said, you will go back, will you, to Spain? And um, my neighbour said, no, no, we couldn't. We're, we're here to support. They live right across the street. <laughs> we're to support. And the lady said, oh, so you're not going back? Would you mind if we had your villa. And oh, my God. So now, so the lady who was told this, who is, if you knew her, is just kindest, most amazing girl. And she's so white. She's not biased, she like me. I said only that she stuck her fingernails into the top of her hand and grew blood. She would have punched her life out. So, you know, those kind of things. And but I, and you know, that the kind of thing is, how are you? I'm fine. Oh, how are you really? Um. We we had a lot to deal with, and I suppose with me, I was I, I just wanted everything to be sorted and everything to be fixed really really quickly. So I remember um, maybe a, a week after Fergus died, and my brother was over, and you know we were you know logistics of of selling Fergus's car because you know not only was it upsetting us, but it was upsetting the neighbours to see it. But I remember calling my GP and I said, "David, you have to come." And like the night I was so green because there's no book on this. And he came over immediately and he said, he told me all the feelings I was going through. He said, you're, you're, you're really upset. You're sad, you're cross, you're guilty. you're Everything I was thinking of, that I should have done this. You know, I shouldn't have been. I was, I was getting a takeaway McDonald's when I got the call from Chloe to say that she couldn't find Fergus and she just dropped home to get something. And I thought he was in the office. I presumed he was in the office because he was cutting the lawns. It was actually the day that J.P. McManus had the golf classic in Tiger Woods. there and for Chloe and I had been to day one and this was day two and Fergus was going with one of the younger children um, and he was cutting the lawn and he said he was going to the office. I presumed he was in the office and actually I will never forget what JP said to me at the removal Uh, he whispered into my ear because we, Fergus was laid out at home. We always said Fergus and I that you know we both look really good in that room it's such a lovely room. I remember JP said to me only Fergus could have stolen the thunder from Tiger because the news ripped through a different yeah. manner and everything came to a standstill. So anyway, I rang Taylor to come to the, my GP to come to the house and I said, Look, I need to talk to somebody um, because I actually went into my head, I could fix this. I'm going to make this all better. Um Like my first mistake was the, day, the night of his funeral. We had a beautiful dog, Minnie, that actually was with Fergus when, when, when Chloe found him. um You know, and um, but I said, we'd have another dog. We'll kind of replace him. You know, it's ridiculous. Like, we're all there singing to New York. New York all. His first is a great singer and he loved Frank Sinatra. I said, guys, you know, we're buying a dog. So we bought a dog, Teddy. Um, he said, so yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's played a huge part in Act 3 of my life. But um, anyway, I, I said, look, I need to, mm. I said, I need to get this fixed. And so he gave me the name of three counsellors to go to. Him. I probably went too soon. Um, but it, it also taught me, Matt, that, you know, I'm not saying there's bad counsellors and good counsellors and bad counsellors, you know, just not everybody's great. So he gave me a list of three. So I you're kind of assuming the number one that you're giving it, that's the best one. It was like when you watched movies and somebody goes in to talk, you know, like in the States, you watch one of these movies and you go in and they've got the box of tissues and the clock is timing is on and the clock was on. And so she said to me, you know, how are you feeling? And obviously, you know, the second she said that it was born in crime. And she said, Talk to me about the removal. And this is the thing that I will never forget. Because I told her about the day, like they were queuing, it was raining. They were queuing apparently for miles down the road. And Helen O'Donnell, who, by the way, is somebody you need to interview, who should be canonized, she was married to Tom O'Donnell, the M- MEP. She catered for all those people. She didn't tell me she was coming. She was amazing. The morning of the funeral, I was writing a speech. I couldn't sleep. I didn't think I would talk on the altar. She came in and she slid in the back door. She had Bunsen burners going with sausages and rashers and everything for the kids. She was, she was just, she was just unbelievable, but she was catering for everybody. And so I told the counselor that the saddest thing that I remember of that day was the story that I heard afterwards, The two of our good friends. Who are so used to coming into our house in the back door and so used to just seeing Fergus and I or the five kids or whatever and having a few glasses of wine or whatever. They walked into a house with 1,400 people filing in one door and going out the other. Um, and one of them went out to the carport for a cry. And then the other one went out. They found each other they just hugged each other. And that whole visual for me is very sad. And I just mentioned the name of the architect, which was one of them. She said, Oh, I know him very well. So you're not supposed to do that when you're counselling somebody. Start talking about, oh, I know him really well. But she also said to me, she said, tell me about your children. So I went through them all and I referred to Philip as my baby. And she said, you need to tell him right now what happened to his father. Right now. Tell him right now. And, you know, he's only nine. I wasn't ready for that. In fact, I didn't tell him until he was 13. And he didn't know. Even though the school ran me to tell me that he did not know, he did not know. Friends are so protective of their friends. You know, younger people are much better than older people. They know how to keep their mouth kind of zipped. But then, so I went to her and I kind of thought, OK, it's me, it's not her. And then I went back and Chloe then went. So Chloe went to her, my endest. I thought she, of all people, needed to come and talk to somebody. So um, we decided we'd go back for the second time. And when I went back the second time, Chloe said, well, oh, I still want to go. I just didn't think she was any good for me. Um, so I went back and I told the counsellor that Chloe is not going to come. Um, And she actually turned around to me, she said, Chloe needs to take responsibility for her own life. She's old enough. Now, she was speaking about my eldest daughter who came home and found her dad. Now, that to me was just so. And I said to her, I was furious. I wrote the check out and said, take it and keep it. And I just on the way out the door, I said, can I ask you, is this from personal experience that you know all the answers or did you read this in a book? So she was taught this in university. Again, to prove that, you know, sometimes the experts you need to know how I felt, and because I couldn't tell you how Fergus felt, and he didn't know how the minder felt. So, for somebody to kind of dictate to us, um, you know. But then there was so much kindness. I remember one of my neighbours arriving through the carport. I was in the garden, completely lost in my own world, and she had a brown paper bag, and she said, "You know." And um, She was married to a doctor and she was a nurse and in the bag was sleeping tablets. She said, do you want to need these? And my housekeeper slash friend was miles away on a boat somewhere, couldn't be contacted. I said, you want it? Because I'm very house proud and I love my house. And um, she said, you need a housekeeper. So she said, I have a housekeeper coming. And I said, look, I need to she said, and she said, The great news is she has no English, so you don't need to talk to her. So, you know, because my head was everywhere. So that's just a few acts of kindness There's been so many.
0: You also decided to continue running the business because I, I think a lot of people would have thought at the time that maybe now would have been the opportunity for you to sell it to somebody else, but you didn't.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't want... Like, I, I remember speaking to my brother the day after the funeral. He came over and... Um, Reality was dawning at the stage. And actually, I think it was the Sunday when I read my sister from France came over to stay with me and she bought the Sunday Independent. And I, you know what? I, I don't think I've read a newspaper since Fergus died. But I remember sitting there and reading the paper and this headline it was so sad. And the headline was, you know, the best husband, the best father, the best son, the best whatever. And I thought, my God, and I started reading the article and I was two chapters in our paragraphs in and I that's what I said on the altar. There was a reporter there and I went, oh, my God. Um, but Mark arrived over and I said, Mark, I can't do this. I've got to be here for the children because like, I was really worried what's going to happen to those children, like really worried, even though I, I swore on the altar that I was, you know, I like, promised Fergus from the altar that I was going to brush their teeth, he was big into teeth. I was going to bring them to Mass. I lied about that. No, I, I was going to, but it didn't happen. I was going to, and I thought, you know, from for fools go back. Yeah, yeah, yes, I made that, that. early. Yeah, that's the very first. I said, Mark, he actually said to me, let's wait a month and see how you feel. Let's just wait a month. So I challenged myself. I like goals. So my goal for the first month was, by the month's mind, and I would have my bank accounts kind to clue like how many accounts we had and you know, whatever. And so I sorted that out and I did all the things and, and and then as I see, so I did go back to work and that day was horrible because everybody, they were so good, my colleagues, and but then one look at me and they started crying and I started crying and it was absolutely horrific and my my Clients were crying and, you know, it was just appalling. I remember the time I went to Selfridges and it was just the door for a tender and they were so nice. They took me out for dinner and brown thumbs. All of them were so nice and so understanding. Little by little by little, I stayed on longer and longer. And it was my saving grace because my brain was occupied. And so I didn't sell the company and I got stuck in like nobody has ever got stuck in. And I had Fergus and his dad and his granddad hanging behind me as a reminder, of where this all started. But that's what interests me when I've spoken to you about this before, is that
0: it wasn't your family business. No. It was the one that you married into. Yes. Yeah. And yet it meant so much to you to uh, maintain the lineage for me.
1: Well, first of all, I'm lucky because I think I ended up being as passionate, if not more passionate, than the founder about JJ2 Limited and packaging. And um, I loved it in the end. I mean, I still look at paper bags as If they were mine, like you know, the Brown Thomas bag or the Dunstorers bag, when I would work with them in designing it, it was like I give birth to this bag, it was mine, I didn't care if it was invoiced out or not, it was mine. That's how much it meant. I and mean, in salvages, would tell you, I would start crying at tenders because I was so passionate about it, you know. And I was, but I loved it, I loved and I didn't love all of it. There's parts of running a business when I walked in that door the first time with Fergus, if somebody had told me all the problems that I would be faced with. And what about the margins? Oh, and and the margins. You know, I mean, I learned about those very quickly. But I would, there were days that I felt, God, why did I say yes to this? We had so many problems. I pulled this short straw. There is no question about us. We had the bank tax, we had the recession, and and that's the time Fergus died. And then we had COVID. So you know. But my thing was that there was nobody coming to help me. As Mel Robbins says, and I keep repeating to the children, there is nobody coming. I wasn't relying on anybody. And so long as I did my best and had no regrets and I failed, there was nothing I could do about it. So I was kind of steering my own boat. But the things that kept me going was simple things. Not success to me is, you know, very subjective. Success to me is not I never went out to make millions. I actually, well, uh, we, we owed a lot of money when I took over the company. I just wanted everybody, I wanted the company to perform as best as it could, i.e. customer centricity. Number one, number one, number one, number one, and which is really PC incorrect, but I keep saying that is all over LinkedIn that your colleagues should be the number one. No, they're not. They and I were equally number two. If customers are not number one, what is there left? So every one of them was our number one. But the things that kept me going was two words. Thank you. You know, you would get phone calls from Brown Thomas or Kenny or whatever, say, Vicky, thank you so much. You and your team, what you have done 24-7. We went 150% there and, and that made up for all the bad times. And there were loads of bad times. And, you know, when I'm mentoring young girls, it's, it's, it's actually, it's, it's so simple for me because they look at me who is an entrepreneur, God knows how I end up in the wife thing because I started thinking, you know, uh, how did I end up in that? And I think, as somebody said to me, it's because you're brave. That's why you were really, really brave and you never give up. But they look at somebody like me and they say, God, you know, look what she If you read up about me awards, and really, they don't really, really that much. They don't mean that much. But every feeling that they have is exactly every feeling I had every single day. I, I I questioned myself. I questioned every email I sent. Was that the right one? Was I doing the right thing in HR? Because I wasn't trained in any of that. Um, and I was scared. I was scared every single day. I mean, am I going in at the right Martian for this? Am I saying the right thing to my colleague? Am I doing the right thing? Um, because you're literally a family looking after 24 people who've got families as well. And you want, it's all about integrity. It's all about honesty. But at the end, when, when you need to give that thank you, it was amazing. So what I would say to them was the straight line. I, I like simple analogies. We're on a straight line. We really are. And there's going to be huge tips and they're the bad days, are the horrible days, like when Fergus died or some, somebody is diagnosed with something really bad or, you know, and then you have the peaks, the really good days. They come very infrequently, but neither of those last. We just need to be able to get back up to that line again when we're down. And when we get up to the peaks, like, you know, a special day, like when I won that award, appreciate it, but no, they're not going to last forever. We're going to come back down to that line again. And I think, you know, I, I think sometimes the younger generation feel that they should be above that line all the time, that it's just going to, you know, this sense of entitlement and, you know, every day is supposed to be holiday day and every day is supposed to be amazing. You know what? I reckon about 300 days are kind of normal days, happy days. And then you get about 30 amazing days. Celebrate them and the rest of them are pretty shite, excuse the word. But we know they won't last.
0: Vicky, given how much effort you put into the business and clearly how much you love doing it, why did you sell it?
1: So, And when Fergus died and I thought that I would sell it and I didn't, um, suddenly, I suppose, what was going to happen to it and the succession came into my, you know, what am I going to do? So five children, uh, there was only one that showed interest and that was JJ, perfect name, JGO2 Limited, JJ. And when he was about two or three, before he could probably even properly speak, I remember him in the back of this sitting in the back of my car we were passing by age 80 or two so we had one and in front of his two older siblings sisters went me, me, me but when Fergus died he was outstanding so he was the middle child but he was the eldest boy and um, God, I remember that poor boy trying on he was on his leaving sort of holiday coming home the day Fergus died so I had to ring him mid-flight which was horrific I remember he tried on Fergus's suit and took at a, a a, a placer and he was amazing. And he brought cigarettes home for Fergus, which he put into the coffin, which was so sad. But he was the one that would always say to me, Oh Mum, have you the dollar has weakened? Have you seen it? And he always would ask me how I was getting on and how are things going. And I would I would share my management accounts with only three people. My brother, a non-executive, director, and JJ. And JJ is brilliant at all this stuff. So he had a masters in finance, etc. Anyway, long story short, I tried to find a general manager, which I couldn't find to suit the company for one reason or another, which is another podcast, let me tell you. And around ran JJ he was about 26 and he was in aviation at this stage and loving it. And he was in Dublin living the dream. Um, and I said, JJ, it's now or never. So JJ arrived down and he was going to be the fourth generation. And I think within six weeks, maybe less, we both knew that this was not going to be for JJ. He just didn't have the passion for it. I mean, everything in his, in his world was really fast. There were hundreds of millions of always patent- being bought on planes. And, um, and you know, he said, Mom, you know, we're going to open the head office in New York and we're going to open up one. And I said, JJ, like, we're a hundred something years old now. I don't think that's going to happen. So we didn't get beyond the dating stage. We got as far as we didn't get to the engagement. Thank God. And you're the only two people that weren't disappointed were JJ and I. We were happy. I did not want JJ to do something that he did not love. So then obviously the highlight was on me. What was I going to do with this business? Um, I was getting jaded after years and I was getting in my ear from Morris, my non-executive director, my brother Mark, you have no life. And I didn't. I would, I would work, go to the garden, work, go to the garden. I give up golf, give up. Like my friends would have to book coffees with me, literally. Um, but I kind of felt, you know, this was enough for me, but it wasn't. I was getting tired. So um, an incredible thing happened. That absolutely horrendous dog that the children bought, who is the cutest little thing ever bought when Fergus died. Literally two weeks after Fergus died, they went, they went down to carry bought this thing. Um, he he's a Morkey, so he looks very cute. Um, he kept escaping out of our garden. And I would be in a board meeting and I'd get phone calls from the boys because I I was very, I thought it was a very, very intelligent move. I took my mobile number off his little disc and I put their mobile numbers on because he kept escaping. He was found at the local shopping centre. He was found in random places. So anyway, uh, they were in Dublin studying or working, and they you know, kept coming calls. Mum, Teddy is is down the vets again. He's down the shopping centre, and the amount of bottles of wine I had to use. I'm thanking people for randomly picking him up. Uh, so anyway, long story short, I had a lot of breakouts. I, I couldn't see where he was getting out. I mean, I kept blocking the holes. I thought that maybe he was like a little mouse that he was kind of you know getting in under the gate. Um so October weekend, 21, raining, all my friends away, my children here, there and everywhere, feeling very sorry for myself, which is kind of unusual, raining. And I was in my car porch with planks of wood, nails, screws, hammers and a saw with that dog running around my heels. And I was filling the whole little sport. I discovered he was getting in under. The fence is 25 years old and I could see the little rotten parts and he was getting eaves digging. He was, oh, um, and I felt sorry for myself. And I just looked up to heaven. And I said, Fergus, you know what? This is your job. This is your job. You should be doing this. I kind of thought it was JJ's job and Mark's job and Philip's job as well. But, you know, um, so then that night I was having an omelette and a glass of wine. And I was on my second, maybe not last glass of wine, when it just dawned on me that if Fergus isn't around for the fence, that maybe he doesn't mind if I sell the company. And it's only that moment after all those years running the business on my own and feeling very lonely, very isolated. Because, you know, every people have helped you but they all have their own eyes. And ultimately the decision was mine, whatever I made. I thought I was doing this for Fergus. I was doing it for Fergus's dad, Jack, and I was doing it for his granddad, John. I was doing it for all the, and none of them were around. None of them were around. So that was a... Saturday and on the Monday, the Tuesday when we went back after the fine holiday weekend, my brother and my non-sex director both got calls and I said they couldn't believe it and I said I've made up my mind how after they tried and controlled me for so long, you can't do this any longer. I said i made up my mind Teddy O'Toole has decided it for me. And so I can thank Teddy O'Toole for um, one good thing that he has done, But, you know, I mean, he's the cutest dog ever and he's kept us all kind of laughing and all the rest. But um, yeah, and that was it. It was as simple as that. How like fickle does that sound? Was it easy to sell the business, to find a buyer for? it? Um, it all happened very quickly, which is great because I think it was very emotional for me and the people that I was thinking about, mainly were my colleagues who were amazing. Some of them had worked through three generations. I felt I was really letting them down, like really letting them down because they were so used to an O'Toole family member, even though I wasn't employed, I might as well be been Being there. You know, the fabric of the whole company was the, was the O'Toole family. Um, I really had to show them empathy from the beginning to the end. And my customers, my clients, our clients, they were so outstanding. I ran every single one of them from Mrs. Hefman the whole way down and they were particularly supportive. Couldn't believe the amount of, afterwards in hindsight, the amount of lay- women that I, I spoke to heads of companies and the amount of family businesses. Was it easy? No, it was never easy. Um, I was told that the due diligence was going to be shocking. It was shocking. You know, Vicky, you had a cup of coffee in 2016 down the local shop. Where's your receipt? I went, oh, oh, did I? Um... Very invasive, but all, also, and we have, you could not meet a more honest company, I think. Everything was above board. But I think what was the hardest part is that you're dealing with running a company and I was head of every department and managing all the top clients. And then you have all these emails coming in, you know, from the accountant, Grant Thornton looked after all that. Me not understanding part of it, you know, looking at is it the spa that they were doing? And I changed a hundred times because I wasn't feeling that, no, these people are not getting what the essence of JG Two Limited is about. Like, how do you explain to a buyer the history of a company when they don't know anybody that worked there or is working and sitting in those chairs? And do they care? Because are they just looking at the numbers and how much they different. can make out of it? Yeah, see, I, everybody's different. And like, I know you asked me this question at the real deal and I know that you asked somebody else ask the question afterwards. Do you agree with Vicky? And they said, no. And look, this is my personal opinion on this is that to me, now, you know, I've been, Berated for saying this, that success to me doesn't mean money. But it doesn't, because I know what it was like when we were facing nothing. You know, I think it's because of my German mother, like, I mean, I know how to work on a budget. It means nothing to me. My life has not changed since I sold, sold the company. I have not an out of book, diamonds or anything like that. You have arrived in a six year old car. From- yes, I have. Yeah. And, this my, my, and I'm worried, you know, I'm going to get out of the driveway. Um, but it, it doesn't mean anything to me. I get that from my mother. Like I'm a very happy person within my my, my thing. But just don't understand why. With some people are different. If you if I buy a car, I go through a lot of trouble. And I, hope, I will hope because that car is giving up, I am buying a new car. You know, you want to know, like, you know, is it automatic or is it manual? If it's a second-hand car, how old it is. You know, a little bit of history even on a car the key factors of JG2 Limited, the goodwill factor, was not the numbers. It was the people that worked within it. It was the synergy that we had, the stories that we had. I mean, I could tell you millions of stories about JG2 Limited and I wasn't even there for half of them. Um, I meet colleagues of Fergus's, I meet colleagues of Mr. O'Toole's at funerals and they have always great stories to tell me and how kind Fergus was and how kind Mr. O'Toole was. And we kept people in jobs, but they kept us in jobs, too. And so, like I tell you a perfect story that nobody asked me about. The very first person I interviewed, Lindsay, I was I was green. Never interviewed anybody in my life. This girl walked in through the door and she just got me from hello. And she had no letter after her name, just like I don't, except the five big ones. C-O-P-O-N cop on. She stayed with me right through and I interviewed her future husband. And they ended up getting married and having children. And I'm still very close with her, as I am with lots of them. That's a story in itself. So, you know, two people get left. But there was as much more. And we have stories of Brown Thomas going back 30 years. Brown Thomas and I did not do business solely because I was selling them bags. When Fergus died, they rang me. Are you OK? There is a genuine connection there. And to me, it's, a, it's not. So, you know, when you, see, you miss all that now. That you don't have the business to run anymore. And um, no, I don't miss all of that. I miss talking to my colleagues on, uh, on a daily basis. And, you know, that could be times that we have the fun that we, you know, I mean, particularly coming up to Saturday, tomorrow now, the All Ireland semi final. I mean, the rivalry in our office was, you know, because we've Galway and Cork and whatever it is. And this is a girl you now who nothing, knew nothing about GA, but. I have my very first meeting in J2O2 Limited. Uh, I was brought, I'm, I'm going on a tangent now, but it's actually quite funny. I was, my very first meeting I was brought to in Newbridge and um, just to kind of get my feet in onto the table and, you know, I was asked by the sales manager, how will we describe you? And I said, it's Vicky. Yeah, no, no, I have to give you a label. You're a director. And I said, no, I'm just Vicky O2. So not one Minute of that conversation was about packaging. It started off on Gaelic, they were talking about Gaelic football, curling, no idea what they were talking about. And I was excluded from the conversation. They might as well have put me at the other side of the office. And then the conversation went to golf. And um, I said, please ask me, please ask me, do I play golf? Because, you know, I was a good golfer. And, you know, when John, how's your golf? And, you know, the usual reply from a man, oh, you know, golf is my handicap. And then the, the buyer turns around and says, you wouldn't have time to play golf because you've got five children. I said, no, we do actually. And your handicap? what, 36? I said, no, it was actually 12. Suddenly, respect. I tell you, I walked out of that building and I said, I'm going to learn about Gaelic. That was a long time ago when I made my first match in Thurlis, Kilkenny. We were playing Kilkenny and um, like it was a car crash. We couldn't pick the slitter up off the pitch, but I stayed with them. Thank God. But it just... Anyway, it just shows you the like the stories that we would have together. So I do miss that. But a lot of my clients are still in touch with me. They just ring me just for a chat and I, I meet them occasionally for cups of coffee. Uh, I miss that and, you know, I... But hold on, you're not spending all your time
0: in the bath No, No, we're... because you're the type of person no, who wants no. to be doing things. Yeah. So what are you going to do now?
1: Well, my big fear when I sold the company, and this was, and it is still a big fear of mine, is that I won't know what to do. They'll wake up and I will be not busy for one minute. Like, I want to be useful, make it, make a difference. So, I've only had six months now of not working in J.J. 2 Limited and now it's weird because the office is quite close to me and it just so happens to be backing up facing my favourite bakery and I like eating cake. And you still see the fans bear right Yeah, in. Yeah, I know I do. And, um, you know, and I see kind of strange cars and the car, and you're wondering who that is. Actually, my replacement, apparently. sure name is Vicky as well. So that's <laughs> even a little bit weird. Sorry, who did you sound to? Uh, Zeus. Okay. Zeus. So, um, yeah, so it's a bit weird, but you get used to it. You know, you get used to it. So what I'm doing for the moment is, well, you know, when I was sitting here waiting for you to get your microphones working, I was looking at, and I'm not exaggerating, 15 WhatsApp messages from my daughter who was getting married in January uh, about fails. Uh, So she's getting married in South Africa. JJ, my, and this is the German blood coming out of me now. JJ, my son, is getting married in August 2025 to the girl that lives next door. Um, But the ceremony is in my back garden and the reception is next door. So I'm planting my garden to make sure that I've got enough flowers blooming for August. It's not a great time, I keep telling you now, I'm obsessed with gardening. Like, you know, when people think like Ireland, they don't understand what they see. This is Chelsea Flair, not quite German, Gavin, who, by the way, is my twin. Born same day, same month, same year, but, you know. I'm doing podcasts. Sorry, I'm not doing podcasts. I will be doing it's a great idea for a podcast. I'm doing public speaking, which I get terribly nervous, but still. Um, and I'm just here, there and everywhere. You know, there's something on every day. But what is consuming most of the time for, for me for the moment is I'm a director of the race course. So I am the first lady on the board and um, it's a bit of a legacy thing now because the stand is called After My Late Dad. So, but I'm there doing the landscaping improvements, doing the interior, doing the sitting in the interviews. Uh, so we have a new marketing colleague starting next week. So I'm helping the GM with the inductions and all of that. So yeah, very busy. So no, I wish you worked. How did I work? I, I, to finish, something you said earlier and
0: you mentioned about Furbis and monkeys up there looking yeah. down. And you and the children, you give yourself the accolade that you suspect he must be very proud of you and the children. How you coped afterwards?
1: Yeah, I hope he is. I mean, I'm, no, he has to be. I mean, look at the children, what they've done. I mean, I now, you as well. Yeah, no, I mean, they will tell you. Shake you with a few drinks. We are dynamite with a few drinks and board. Like there's no holding back, and there's nobody that tells each other like we love each other and we know that we're terribly close. But like, I mean, we could be fighting, in-house fighting. And if you said something bad about Chloe, JG or whatever, one of them would actually stab you. It's as simple as that. But I think, like, if I look at them all and we have, it doesn't matter about academia, really. But I was determined when Fergus died. You know, it's a bit like when you have one heart, you look after it. Uh, but then when something wrong with your heart, you're kind of, but you have two eyes, but now certainly like one person looking after these children. I was determined that they were qualifications. So we have nurses, we've got actuaries, we've got solicitors, we have a whole lot of them. They're very happy within themselves. But I think how I did it was it was tough love. And they're going to be laughing now if they listen to this because they never listen to anything I do anyway. A very tight budget. So anything they wanted, they had to We joint accounts. So, you know, because their granny and granddad were generous and give them a bit of money. So if they needed a car or they needed a bike or they needed a computer, they would have to come into my office. And we'd have to take the money out of their account. So it was tough, no, but I am super proud of them. And I suppose that's what makes me sad that he isn't physically here to look at them and say, God, look what you and I produced.
0: Vicky O'Toole, thank you so much for being here for magnified. And that is the latest edition of Magnified with Matt Cooper. My thanks again to Vicky O'Toole for speaking so honestly, candidly and movingly about her personal experience. And it may be something that touches upon the lives and experience of others as well. That's it for today. We have lots of great guests coming up in the coming weeks and there's an enormous back catalogue of previous Magnified interviews for you to enjoy if this is your first time coming to the series. So until the next time, from me, Matt Cooper.